enjoyed episode 27 of this Bible study podcast series, reading through the Gospel of Luke. I'm so glad that you're here with me again today. We're going to just dive right in. We got the beginning of chapter 13, verses 1 through 21. Let's read it together. Let's see what we can get out of it today. Let's begin in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. At that time, some people who were present there told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. He said to them in reply, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were greater sinners than all other Galileans? By no means. But I tell you, if you do not repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those eighteen people who were killed when the tower at Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than everyone else who lived in Jerusalem? By no means. But I tell you, if you do not repent, you will all perish as they did. And he told him this parable. There once was a person who had a fig tree planted in his orchard. And when he came in search of fruit on it but found none, he said to the gardener, For three years now I have come in search of fruit on this fig tree but have found none. So cut it down. Why should it exhaust the soil? He said to him in reply, Sir, leave it for this year also and I shall cultivate the ground around it and fertilize it. It may bear fruit in the future. If not, you can cut it down. He was teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and a woman was there for 18 years who had been crippled by a spirit. She was bent over, completely incapable of standing erect. When Jesus saw her, he called to her and said, Woman, you are set free of your infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and she at once stood up straight and glorified God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant that Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, said to the crowd in reply, There are six days when work should be done. Come on those days to be cured, not on the Sabbath day. The Lord said to him in reply, Hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his ass from the manger and lead it out for watering? This daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for eighteen years now, ought she not to have been set free on the Sabbath day from this bondage? When he said this, all his adversaries were humiliated, and the whole crowd rejoiced at all the splendid deeds done by him. Then he said, What is the kingdom of God like? To what can I compare it? It's like a mustard seed that a person took and planted in the garden. When it was fully grown, it became a large bush, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. Again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch of dough was leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're picking up from, again, from where we left off. Jesus is still, at least in the beginning of this section, Jesus is still on a roll, giving us some some teachings about repentance here. Um, But what we begin with is people telling Jesus about some current events that have gone on, particularly one about Pilate's slaughter of the Galileans. And this is kind of our... I think maybe our first or maybe second real mention of Pilate and something that like he's done. Um, And they're talking about his slaughter of the Galileans, which according to the writer Josephus, this was a a real thing that happened that Pontius Pilate, who is kind of the, the governor, the Roman governor of Judea showed up to a religious gathering in Galilee and killed a bunch of the Jews there. So our first real mention of Pilate exemplifies him very truly as a bad guy, real bad guy. And we'll find him later on in the story as as we probably know, we recognize the name. 
But they tell Jesus about the slaughter of the Galileans by Pilate, and Jesus responds and say and says, Did this hap did what happened here? Was this a punishment from God for their sins? No, not quite. That's not the case. Because the common thought of the time, and I think we've kind of mentioned this before, is that uh, illness or any kind of afflictions or any kind of punishments would be understood as a result of punishment from God, uh, as a result of sin. And Jesus clarifies that this one is not, not a punishment from God, but that if you do not repent, Jesus says, if you do not repent, you will all perish as they did. So he uses this current event as an example of what could happen because sin leads to death if there's no repentance. And then he references another current event of the time. He references an event of 18 people killed by the collapse of a tower in Siloam. And this is mentioned nowhere else in the Gospels in the New Testament or really any other writings that I've seen, I guess. Um, But Jesus, again, says that this, where it could be seen as a punishment from, from punishment from God, he clarifies, not. Not a punishment from God for sin, not necessarily. But, again, if you do not repent, he says the exact same thing. If you do not repent, you will all perish as they did. Again, using this example as what could happen because sin leads to death if we don't repent. So Jesus uses these two current events that people know, are aware of in the news, as reminders of, the need to repent because if we don't we will perish forever because death is the result of sin so we need repentance then jesus gives this parable of the fig tree he says that the man's got a fig tree he's planted a fig tree and it bears no fruit and the one who planted the tree wants to cut it down because it's been three years hasn't hasn't grown anything but the gardener says give it one more year and I shall cultivate the ground around it, fertilize it, and may bear fruit in the future. And if not, you can you can cut it down. What connections can we make here? What significance does this have? Maybe we can see God, the God of the universe who created the earth, placed us here. God is the planter of the fig tree. And that Jesus is maybe the gardener. That God looks down at his creation and, you know, they've we're not bearing fruit. We're being sinful. We're turning away. And Jesus, the gardener, has come to intercede on our behalf. Jesus says, give it a little more time. I will go down. I've come to cultivate. Jesus came to cultivate the ground and hopefully that we may bear fruit. And Jesus gives us another chance. And that's, that's why Jesus calls us to repent. He's come to call us to repent because if not, there's this judgment that's coming upon humanity because of our sin. That's justice. But Jesus, in in the mercy of God, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be, to intercede on our behalf to call us to repentance, to give us a chance uh, to be reunited with God in his love and in his mercy, which that is, I mean, good news. Even in the midst of what seems like a hard teaching of Jesus saying, repent, 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 it's because of God's mercy. It's because in the person of Jesus, he's come to intercede for us and give us a second chance at forgiveness. That is, that's the mercy of God. So that's that first section. And then uh, we jump forward a little bit to just a day in time. This is kind of the end of Jesus's long teaching moment that spanned all of chapter 12 and into chapter 13 now. But we have a new day and Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on a, on a Sabbath. And it says that the woman is, has, there's a woman there who's been bent over, totally crippled for 18 years, which is an incredible amount of time. And all it took 
was for Jesus just to say, woman, you are set free of your infirmity, and she's healed. <laughs> she's healed of this serious infirmity, this affliction. It's been going on for 18 years. The problem, though, is it's on a Sabbath. And the synagogue official says, there are six days when work should be done. Come on those days to be cured, not the Sabbath day. Because for whatever reason, curing the sick uh, is considered work in some way, which becomes a seriously contentious issue, not only here, but we see it a bunch of times in the gospel. Jesus heals on the Sabbath pretty often in the gospels. We saw it before in chapter 6 with the man with the withered hand. We see it here, and we see it two other times in John's gospel as well. Uh, Jesus healing the blind man in John chapter 9 at the pool in Bethesda, uh, chapter John chapter 5, and it's particularly that one and John chapter 5 that becomes kind of the the initial moment and the reason for Jesus's persecution in the story of in John's gospel. So it's a very contentious issue, clearly, that for whatever reason, this is a huge deal for the Pharisees and, and like the, the Jewish religious leaders. But Jesus kind of responds and calls, calls the people out as hypocrites. And he says, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his ass from the manger and lead it out for watering? That all of the Jesus says all of you probably do some sort of something that could certainly be considered work to take care of your animals on the Sabbath, and this is not only like a an example that Jesus has could witness in real life, but also to reference the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two, verse four. It's in the law. It says, "You shall not see your neighbor's donkey or ox fallen on the road and ignore it. You must help it in lifting it up." So not it's lawful and right to help animals and to take care of animals in this way. So this should definitely apply to humans too. So Jesus is calling people out and he's saying like, look, why don't we, why don't we have legit care for the people here and, and quit basing all of this on, on these rules and regulations and trying to be so nitpicky with things? Because he says this daughter of Abraham, who Satan is bound for 18 years, doesn't she deserve to be healed? which is so, so true. But the other implication of what Jesus says there, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, is he kind of makes this connection too, that the infirmity that she has dealt with is the effect of Satan's control over the world. This theme that we've talked about before, that part of Jesus' mission is taking back control, taking back dominion of the world from Satan, that in Jesus' healing, in the infirmity that was the, that was caused in some part by Satan's control of the world, Jesus, by these healings, is retaking control over the world. That Jesus is re, is gaining some ground in this spiritual battle that we've continued to see. But if, nonetheless, uh, it says that Jesus, for Jesus, all his adversaries were humiliated. That the religious leaders don't take this too well. And probably here still, we continue to see building anger and hostility towards Jesus in his ministry and his healing and his preaching. But the final section here, what Jesus continues with is he begins, he uses two parables that we probably know relatively well uh, to describe the kingdom of God. The first is a mustard seed, the parable of the mustard seed, which I tell you what, uh, there is a, there's a period of my life where I got real adventurous in, this is just personal example, personal thoughts, where I began making mustard because um, I think it, it's actually a super cool process and there's a lot to it. Um, but I began making mustard, so I bought a ton of mustard seeds and mustard powder and and a bunch of other powders and whatever. 
But mustard seeds are tiny. They're like super tiny, like one of the one of the smallest of seeds. But Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that is it begins with super super small and grows in some kind of magnificent way, in some kind of way that's mysterious and that we can't understand grows from the smallest of seeds to this big tree where Jesus says it becomes a large tree and the birds of the sky dwell in its branches. That last part there, the birds of the sky dwell in its branches, uh, is a reference because it's it's in kind of quotes in the in the scripture here. It's a reference to the prophet Ezekiel. I think probably in two places we could make the reference. First is Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 22, verse 23. He says, uh, I too will pluck from the crest of the cedar the highest branch. From the top, a tender shoot I will break off and transplant on a high lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it. It shall put forth branches and bear fruit and become a majestic cedar. Every small bird will nest under it. All kinds of winged birds will dwell in the shade of its branches. And then Ezekiel chapter 31 verses 5 through 6, it says, Thereupon it towered in height above all the trees in the field. Its branches were numerous and its bows long because of the many waters sent to its shoots. And in its branches nested all the birds of the sky. Both of those from the prophet Ezekiel referencing like this magnificent tree are an allegory for uh, the prophesied to come exalted and new Israel. Uh, this new new kingdom of Israel to come. So therefore... In some way, Jesus makes this connection that his kingdom, the kingdom of God, will be the this exalted Israel that was prophesied by, by Ezekiel, but that it will be from such small beginnings to this magnificent and glorious uh, kingdom <laughs> analogized to this tree. And he also, the second uh, parable he gives, the second comparison he gives is to yeast, which is very similarly, like if you've used yeast, uh, to make bread, to make dough before. You know that yeast is they're little tiny things. But even just a little bit of yeast put into dough and water, it expands the bread so much. It causes all the bread to rise. Little yeast makes significant amount of bread. And both of these, the mustard seed and the yeast, are analogies and they're uh, used as parables to describe that Jesus' ministry here and his proclamation of the kingdom has small beginnings, but it will grow into the splendor of the kingdom of God. Uh, a, a wonderful tree for the birds of the sky to dwell in its branches. And I think this too is also an analogy for how uh, the Holy Spirit and how God works in our lives too. In these small and seemingly mysterious ways that how does, how does a small mustard seed grow into this magnificent tree? Or how does a small amount of yeast leaven an entire batch of dough? The same is true for how does God plant these seeds in our life and the Holy Spirit moves in us to bring us closer to Christ, something that we couldn't simply do on our own, but to trust that the Holy Spirit moves in our life in this way to implement the kingdom and the gospel into our lives today. Uh, may we strive ever forward to the kingdom of God and allow Jesus to work in our lives through a call to conversion that we may come to repentance as he called us to so that we can experience the, the splendor of this kingdom that he has in store for us. Hope you got something out of this reading today. Can't wait to do it again tomorrow.
Let's close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen.